Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for the Giro d'Italia 2022 wrap-up recap podcast of the entire race because Budapest, where Benji and I met for the first time, feels like a lifetime ago. These Grand Tours literally take up a month of each of our lives, well, well, of each of our lives and the riders' lives. They do slightly more work than us, maybe, <laughs> um, <laughs> during the race. But yeah, we've got three of them and we're through one. And we're going to discuss each of the stage, well, not each of the stage winners, we'll wrap that up, GC, and mostly talk about a few questions like, what could Ineos have done differently? Does the GC results change our mind on Carapaz or Gagan Hart? Can Henley repeat this at a Tour de France or really at any other race? What about Bardet next? And Demar, is this a resurgence? What should FDJ do with him and the Tour and rate the Giro as well afterwards? Uh, but before we get into that, mention our show partners with Don't Be Like Me. Then for a walk with Toby, if you're watching on YouTube, just move. He's just over my shoulder, looking like a drowned rat, and we got rained upon. And so as soon as this is done, the bike is going straight on the trainer and going on to Zwift, our show partner, using their online cycling platform. I think I'm just going to toodle around for an hour and just get the legs back under me. Maybe I'll even have a shave today as well. Now that the Giro's over, just get my life back on track. <laughs> and if you want to check out Zwift, who are the reason we could go to Budapest, go to Zwift.com for a free seven-day trial through the link down below. What for you this week? What do you do after you finish your Grand Tour? What's your decompress? Well, I'm going on a bit of an adventure after this one. I feel like uh, having a few days off. And it's perfect because like the Dauphiné starts in about a week, so... A good week to somewhat relax and I'm going to try and dip out of the cycling for a bit. It's going to be hard because usually then I get like serious FOMO, fear of missing out when something happens. But fortunately, not too much racing going on to pull me out of that. So I'm going to try and relax a bit. I mean, Benji's saying he's going to miss Giro de Lapanino and Mercantura's Maritime race is pretty disgraceful commitment, but it is what it is. <laughs> Maybe we'll have... I might have a relegation pod later in the week. I haven't decided yet. But anyway, the Giro d'Italia whipping through. Stage one in Budapest. Visegrad up, he'll finish. Vanderpool beats uh, Binium. Ewan falls over. Yates wins the TT. Cavendish wins the first sprint. That was the Hungary Grand Partenza done. Vanderpool takes the Malia down to Sicily where they travel. Kamina wins on Etna in the break. Juanpe takes pink. Uh, Pinky would wear for like nine, ten stages plus. Demar then, back-to-back sprint wins in Messina and Scalea. Bowman wins his first stage ahead of Mollimer and Formolo in stage seven with the help of Dumoulin. De Gent steals a march with the help of Van Hoeker ahead of Binium and MVDP in the next stage, stage eight. Hinley wins on Blockhouse. First real mountaintop finish test. He got dropped. Came back, but not big time gaps on GC at all. Now, uh, first proper rest day. Binium wins. 
stage 10 with the help of Pozzo. Dainese wins the sprint in Reggio Emilia. I forgot about that. Aldani wins from the break. Demar wins another sprint. Three stages for him. Chiclamino wrapped. Yates wins uh, from the a mountain break. Well, no, from the GC group on the stage. Bora lit it up on stage 14 in Torino. Ciccone won from the break to Konya, stage 15, second rest day. Africa, incredibly hard stage. Uh, Carapaz, by the way, went into the leader's jersey after stage 14. Hewitt wins the break from the break and goes into top 10 on GC or near, near about on Africa. Then Butraga from the break. Then Debon from the break in stage 18. Cav wondering why he continued in the Giro. Then Bowman, the uphill finish ahead of Schmidt, controversially. Covey won to Paso for Dyer after being let go on Cordoy and Sobrero won the final TT with Hindley obviously dropping Carapaz on for Dyer on stage 20, taking the Malia and defending it in the TT. He had a 90-second lead. He wins GC 118 ahead of Carapaz, 324 ahead of Lander, Demarchi Clamino, Bowman KOM, Juanpe, White Jersey, Bahrain win teams and... Uh, which which stage stands the most out to you, Benji? Or, or which one's the most forgettable? Which one were you like, I did not remember that stage happened? <laughs> I've got like three memorable moments across this Grand Tour where stage 14 is one of them. The tactics that Bora played out on that stage. Almeida having tactical issues with his team there. Kovi not waiting on time. I love those tactics in medium mountain stage. You know me. I know that stuff. Uh, I love that stuff. Stage 20. Vuelta last year, same story. That's why I uh, would select that as one of the more memorable stages, one that just was action from the middle of the stage until the end, and that's wonderful to see. Then another moment is Binyam winning a stage and then the day after being out of the Giro, which was, it's like, oh, it's so sad. Like <laughs> It's great that he won, and then so sad the day after, just like poetic injustice, I would call it. And then uh, when it comes to the final thing, I'd say meeting you, first of all, in in Budapest and like meeting the people that end up listening to our voices so much also in Budapest was a wonderful experience and I'd while that's not part of this the race I I would like to highlight that as probably the best moment of this Giro but forgettable oh I think um I feel like a lot of the GC stage or the stages that were supposed to be GC stages but did not have differences are a bit forgettable for me does that make sense yeah, like Aetna, nothing happened. Even like Africa. Can you remember what happened in GC on the Africa stage? Uh, I know it was really hard. And I think that's a function of the GC top three guys were so close together and level. Or maybe Hindley was bluffing. There was one stage, I'm trying to remember which one, where Carapaz, uh, it wasn't Africa. It was he where he let... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was stage 17 where... I, Hindley didn't try and get out of the wheel of Carapaz in the sprint, despite out sprinting him easily to Africa the day before on stage 16. That's the, because I looked back, I was like, that's the only tell if it even is that maybe he just didn't have the legs, but he didn't even try and come around him where I'm like, maybe Hindley was really happy with three seconds behind and he didn't want to go into the Malia early. That's the one indication that sprint there on stage 17 where Maybe, but yeah, like they gained a few seconds on Lander. I think poor old Dainese and old Dani, like there was a lot of, there was a lot of break wins in the, was there a break win? There was a break win on every stage of the third week, not including the TT. Crazy. It's not, yeah, it's, it's not, um, and stage 15 to Kanye. 
Yeah, so thankfully Bora lit it up on stage 14. I always think because, you know, I have the rights now, but I have to pay for them. So they got to be a good video for the Italian races. Uh, but I have to wait a little bit to to put them up. But I think which which moment would I make a video on from this Giro? Which moment do I think people would be interested in, would get a lot of views, and I'm interested in which moment would it be? And it'd have to be the Binny MVP battle throughout the Giro. That was the highlight for me. I think two heavyweights going together, MVP not being happy after stage eight with that laughing face when Vinny said they those two work together and then Vinny won stage 14. That'd be the highlight for me. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, he left the race early. But otherwise, I want to discuss some GC stuff. We promised we would. What could Ineos have done differently in this Giro Benji? I mean, looking at the three weeks as a whole. I think uh, Ineos took this race on where they considered themselves the strongest with Carapaz. And the second that Carapaz was in the better position when it comes to GC, they played it defensively. And they kept that up when playing it defensively. And they didn't use opportunities in the first week, for example. I think Stage 7 is a perfect example to try and put pressure on the competition to try and put in some digs early on. And I think that might have cost them in the third week. Think so as well? I think so because, listen, really, Hindley, fantastic win. First Australian winner of the Giro. Incredible level. Like, you look at his numbers, just top tier. Like, Bagatch is not dropping him on Fadaya. But Hindley's never strung together three weeks of dominance. And I think even himself, he admitted he maybe was not flying on Etna or flying in the first week he obviously on stage 14 looked very good and Blockhouse even he got dropped so there's I mean you could say when he got dropped and Almeida got dropped on Blockhouse Carapaz really should have pulled and they should have tried to put 30 seconds into those guys I think that's one you could say that but then you know, is Carapaz going to pull and have Bardet sit in and then you lose the Giro to Bardet, you look like an idiot. So, you know, it's 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 scary how, like, remember when Roglic, in, it's like the Tour de France 2020, Roglic thought he was fighting against Bernal and Quintana and there's someone behind who's the real threat. You don't know that early. You obviously know Pog is now. Hindley won't be underestimated again. Um I do point to the stage Benji mentioned, stage seven, because you look at Ineos' strategy last year with Bernal, accumulate, come in, our guy's going to be the strongest across three weeks. And I think it might have even been the case that Carapaz was the strongest across three weeks. But Ineos last year with Bernal tried to take as much time as possible in every stage. Maybe the parkour helped it a little bit more. Stage seven is the example where they didn't. I know Castro crashed, I think, or maybe a stage later. And Hindley might have been vulnerable then. Or maybe maybe Bora would have made him ride for Buchmann and Kelderman. Like, we don't know that they, that they wouldn't have done that. So, yeah, I think that's where they really missed, messed up. And I agree. When you say they rode like... Carapaz was the strongest. What indicates that to you? Uh, for example, the stage to Fedaya itself is an indicator for me because we mentioned that quite a bit in the post-race podcast that I still don't get why Ineos was making it that hard on the final climb. It was like they expected Carapaz to be able to drop everybody. 
and I feel like there was just a, a general overestimation of themselves and an underestimation of Hindley based on the weeks before. But I, I believe that after stage seven, you can still say Hindley, I don't consider him uh, a podium favorite yet because at that point in the race, he was still, I don't know, in the top 10, I think, when it comes to like people that could still be fighting. So at that point, there's no clear difference yet between a Kelvin one and a Hindley and so forth. And it's really in week three that we already knew that he was going to be one of the riders that went for that podium. He started off on, I think, odd 51 in the bookies. And in week three, he was one of the riders that was destined to podium, according to the bookies. So I think it's more excusable to make a mistake like that in week one than in week three. Exactly. And that's why if Bora knew his level all along, the way they approached it was really... Uh, really smart. I'll come back to that in a second, but I will mention our supporting sponsor for the Giro d'Italia, GCN Plus. We watched every single stage of the Giro live and ad-free on GCN Plus, and the racing does not stop with the Giro. There's the Giro collection of documentaries, as well as the best coverage of pro cycling of all levels, not just World Tour. One 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 dot pro one dot pro. 2.pro all levels of cycling is covered on gcn plus and that's basically how we're able to do our job if you want 25 percent off a gcn plus subscription and if you're in australia us canada germany or the uk it's not too late you can use the link down below for lrcp listeners to stay on top of your relegation battle races those one ones which there are a few this week territory restrictions apply i think the first big tell of how strong Hindley was wasn't Blockhouse, even though he won the stage. So he did look good. But I think where where Ineos really should have known, ooh, this guy's this guy might be better than Carapaz on the steep stuff, is Colo della Maddalena to Torino. When he did like 6.8, 6.85 for whatever time duration it was. But he put like 30 seconds into Carapaz very quickly on a steep climb, and people forget he had been pulling the valley before. Buchmann didn't pull. He'd been doing work as well. So that's the first tell, I think, Benji. Yeah, I think so as well. Stage 14 was definitely the point where Bora made it very clear who the leader was in the final of the... like the From that Madalena onwards, you knew who was the leader for that team. Yes, we knew that Buchmann was still there, uh, relatively close. We knew that he hadn't done much for... Hindley to that point in the race either but it was a bit doubtful when Hindley started pacing there but the second he started rising up that Madalena was definitely uh, at a speed that showed something Vincenzo Nibali was following I was even considering him an opportunist for a, a potential podium there and eventually he did come close but Hindley showed that day that he was one of the ones that we'd have to look out for and you said it after that I think on the rest day that Hindley would win the Giro so credits to you mate Oh, no, no credits. I only get abused for things I said a year and a half ago, and not if I change my <laughs> mind and say that he's going to win, even though it was not the favorite. Anyway, um, I think it's all well and good being like, Ineos should have done this, Ineos should have done that. They were hampered by Port got sick. Castro was injured for like two-thirds of this Giro. And thirdly, the parkour did not offer medium mountain raids in the last really seven stages, it was all high mountain stuff and the Bora train was pretty strong. I think 
the one mistake, whether it made a difference or not, I'm not sure because Hindley's TT was at the same level of Carapaz anyway, and I think he's dropping him regardless. But it is curious to see that Carapaz is not a what monster like um, Roglic or Pogacar on like a 10, 15 minute steep stuff. He, his power curve isn't crazy high compared to those guys. He's more of a he's more of a nibbly sort of guy actually just without the descent just you know he's an opportunist sometimes as he's el jaguar consistent in different weather conditions and to see Ineos pace at 6.4 6.5 it's very high and enrico gasparotto i think said that bora had no intention to attack until three three and a half k's to go they had no teammates left well bookman wouldn't have done anything so Ineos could determine the pace. Henley wouldn't have attacked, and they just ramped it way, way too hard. And Sivakov, I think, gave a, an interview in French saying they were trying to expose Henley, which is, I don't know, it's weird. that Ineos paced Blockhouse. I didn't think it suited Carapaz that much. And they paced Fadaya really hard. They kind of, I don't know. It was very like smashing a, a hammer, Benji, not the it didn't really match their rider, their strategy. Is it not something we've seen quite a few times already from Ineos in the last two years? Because I swear even, was it the Luzardi Den stage or one of those stages in the Tour de France last year where they took it up early, Calderon. tried to put some pressure? Calderon, for example, paced early and then they get countered afterwards. And it feels very similar this time around. Vela Fique, they tried something a little bit different. Prato de Tivo in Terreno, Pagaccia mugged them. Yates on stage 20 through the Vuelta GC podium. Like he said, Haig was too far ahead of him on GC. <laughs> and it was like, what? He's 25 <laughs> seconds and 30 seconds ahead of you on GC and you dropped in with 4Ks to go on the climb and you stopped pacing. So, yeah, some curious stuff. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, you can talk tactics a lot. But when a guy like Hindley can do that level performance, 6.5 for 20 at the end of three weeks, to 2,000 meters after a hard stage, there is only so much you can do. And I don't think it actually did make the difference because Hindley's TT was quite good. And speaking of Hindley, like what next for him, Benji? Um, like I would say, he beat Carapaz in this Giro. He's back at an insane level. He had issues last year, like saddle sores or something, and then he's come back at Bora. That's fantastic. I still think Carapaz the better all-round GC rider. What do you expect from him? Would you send him to the Giro, uh, to the Tour, Vuelta? What next? I think it kind of depends on the parkour as well. If there's a 100k of time trials in the next uh, Tour de France, it might not be the most perfect Grand Tour to send Hindley towards. But his time trial was also not necessarily terrible. And it really depends on how the team around him evolves, what Vlasov is going to do at the Tour de France as well, how we can see that work out. And whether that means that Vlasov or Hindley are now the number ones in that sense for next year. Because on paper, Vlasov was the number one for the Tour de France this year for Bora. Will that change after this race? I don't know. We'll have to see at the Tour de France for that. But when it comes to his performance... No, no, no way. No way. Does it not change? Nah, because the TTKs and Vlasov's got good TT. Possibly. Uh, I'll wait until the Tour de France until I give my take on that. Because uh, I believe that... We've said after Hindley 2020 to Giro, yes, uh, it's an aberration so far. He hasn't shown it like that at other races. He hadn't shown it in 2021 again. You're right. It is that saddle source could also have inflicted a lot of that. But now he's done it for the second time where he's 
done a performance like that. And I think it really depends on whether he can pull through this consistency and make this a consistent thing. Except because right now it's still like twice in, in three years that he does it. So if he can make this happen every year, then he can definitely become a, a more consistent GC rider. But I rate Pogacar so much higher in the non-pure climbing stages. He's a better time trialist. When chaos ensues everything, Pogacar is going to be able to handle that better, in my opinion. And I trust him a lot more as my leader. And we're comparing Hindley against Pogacar now. Do you think that's fair for Hindley? Do you think it's fair nah, that we we, we're not, that? we're not having that conversation? Like, I think, what, he's come fifth at Torino, seventh in Polonia, second in Polonia, second Giro, one Giro. Like, it's it's a crazy the way this guy peaks. Like, Torino on Carpena, he got, we had an article about it on the Fedaya stage. He got dropped by Lander Port and Vingegaard. Uh, he was in the Caruso group doing like 5.8 for 20. Similar climb to Fedaya in terms of 20 minutes steep, uh, just over 20 minutes. Catalunya on La Molina, he got dropped by Almeida Quintana. And that was, this is, but this is like six weeks before the Giro. Uh, and then Boy Toll up to sort of 2,000 meters. He was in the Carapaz Ayuso Johannesson group, but Johannesson's not like a pure climber. Um, and then he basically did 0.7, 0.8 watts per kilo for the same duration more at the back end of the Giro to altitude after a hard stage. Like it, 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 No one can say they can predict that. That's just a huge improvement. So I think obviously altitude camp or whatever um, and just getting his body right and peaking is obviously the way to go for him. Uh, and I'm, I'm keen to see how he goes. The Vuelta doesn't suit him. I'd mm-hmm. like to see him tune up for Lombardia. If he can get in this shape for Lombardia, he can yeah. destroy guys. On, and he's a good descender and he's punchy, Benji. I think he can top three Lombardia. I think so as well. But if we look at how Hindley did that after two years, and we then look at Dao Gegenhardt, who has not been able to reproduce that performance in the Giro two years ago, does that change our mind on him? It actually does. It does. It proves, like, I doubted it. And then I was like, okay, well, they did fantastic Watts, but... Again, what's our what's like those two, Hindley and Gagan Hart, they did do crazy performances on Stelvio and Piancavallo. You can't take it away from them. Even if you like, you know, all the other guys crashed out or weren't there. Like they did. And Hindley's repeated it. And he could he can do it again. Like Hindley can do this again. And that's what's crazy. And he just needs to be in the right race, right time, right peak. Gagan Hart seemed to he had a bad crash in Paranese last year. Not like a death-defying one but he hit his head hard got concussed and i don't know he's uh, he was pulling on the front with 80 case to go for plap in a two dot pro race as a flat ruler domestique so like it's he's got to step up he showed a bit in the dauphine last year but i don't know he obviously has the talent he just he's been sick or concussion can take a long time to come back from like what do you does it change your perspective on Hindley and that 2020 Giro I think it does because it just confirms that he can do it again and that's a big thing you know because if someone does something once like Betiel RVV for example that was more of a one-trick pony event yes he's shown quite a few things afterwards but never at that level anymore and when it comes to Hindley I think a lot of us feared that it would have been a one-time thing and that he wouldn't show something similar again but 
I like seeing people defy the odds because he was not nowhere near the favorite for this race. He wasn't even considered as one of the first like seven outsiders or something. So to be able to defy those odds and prove people wrong, I uh I like seeing that. And it also makes it interesting because every person that can compete with the big guns in the future is a person that can make races more interesting. So I look forward to uh, seeing him try in other races. And uh, Lombardia, like you said, is one of them. And also Bora's first Grand Tour win. And I think someone said their first GC podium at a Grand Tour, um, which that's crazy. Uh, they were pro Conti team, what, like seven years ago when they were NetApp and Jura, like, or Argon, and maybe it was longer. I don't know. But they're like not the oldest team. And now they've won a Grand Tour. So congrats to them. It actually also, because they, it makes me think, fuck, can they get Vlasov, can they get him right for the tour where he can challenge? Um, I'm not convinced, but they proved me wrong, both in the transfer and at the Giro, so they probably will prove, prove me wrong again at the tour. So that's enough of GC talk. I want to finish with some talk about DeMar, a man who, um, you know, he had a book last year and he said the level's too high in the in the tour, in the races. Everyone's Everyone's having too many macchiatos. And now he won three stages in Chiclamino easily at the, at the Giro. If you were FDJ's DS or manager, Benji, just pretend you're a lot less intelligent. Um, <laughs> what, what would you do with Demar now? Or would you stick with the Pino Godu Stora Trident for the tour? We Japonska. Oh, okay. In, in English, okay. Um, I think uh, when it comes to... The thing is, they made their plan at the start of the season. Everybody agreed with it. I think if they switch it up now... Everybody agreed with it? The fuck, I agreed with it? <laughs> I, I mean, in the team, probably they... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, I think, uh, like, the problem with Demar is that if you bring him to the Tour de France, you also need to bring his lead-out train. And good luck fitting train. that in as well with what they've got in there at the moment. I think after... You know, at Alps, I see a good chance of him taking a stage in the Tour de France, but I fear that he might go for GC because they're hoping for a podium with both Godou and Pinot based on their initial press conference at the start of the year. And I believe that neither even have remotely the chance of doing so. But um, I don't know. I would probably not take him to the Tour de France. Nah, I wouldn't. Well, as you said, he needs seven guys to as a train and that's when he needs to get it clicking i did see encouragingly thibaut pino said he's going for kom which actually i think is an admirable oh, nice. i think that's really smart that's really what he should go for and he can get it um his alps climbing level was fine so and Torreno, frankly he's like climbing at more than a good enough level to get kom as long as the I haven't checked, but if they've got double points that GC take, then I guess it could be out of his his hands. Go do on cobbles in Denmark in the wind. The TTKs, yeah, uh, it's going to be a tricky one. Hopefully, Stora gets freed to go for stages. But yeah, Demar, he did the same. It's weird. He did well at Giro 2020, like Hindley and Gegenhardt, and then not so good in 2021, and then... Back at the Giro. Uh, I was just curious how maybe mirrored them. Maybe 2021 was the aberration. <laughs> maybe. It's hard, so hard to know with COVID and how it affects everything. Like It's very difficult to, to predict and how much cycling has changed even from 20, uh, 2019. But is it, how would you rate the Giro? 
drawing a bow, wrapping a bow on it, Benji, what would you rate this Giro? Honestly, I think it started off strong with our Budapest experience when it comes to Van Der Poel, when it comes to Bini doing well. Um, just all that woven in there. The sprinting, I feel like it's it's been some enjoyable sprints, but they haven't been like crazy for me. They haven't like been, oh, wonderful sprint stage today. That, that feeling I haven't had. When it comes to GC, I think the backloaded stages, the backloaded race being the last week being very important made it so that there are barely any differences throughout the first two weeks. Stage 14 did do quite a bit there though, but that was also the only proper GC stage next to Blockhouse in the first like 17 days basically because on the Mortirolo stage, no huge differences there. On the stage after, no huge differences. And it really all came down to stage 20, the last three kilometers. So that stage for 95% of it was fucking boring. Let's be honest about it. I think when it comes to the racing, this is, I'll be honest, this is probably one of the weaker Grand Tours I've seen in recent years. And I think on one end, the coverage, the way the TV direction happened was not good. We didn't see the GC group loads of times. It became so much that it really frustrated me while watching. And that hinders the points for this uh, race a lot. I do want to add that their social media game, their Twitter stuff and so forth, next level this year. I don't know what happened. Crazy. And they employed someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was different, I think. Yeah. Sanremo as well. They also did that back in uh, the Sanremo days. And I think... Um, I think I give it about a five out of ten, something like that. Yeah, I'll give it a four. I think four or five. It's it's hard to know. Almeida out, Bardet out, Yates out. That's not the race's fault that that happened. Um, that they got sick or injured or whatever. So I would say, in terms of safety, I'd give it like an an eight. I didn't hear because. Think about it, the absence of complaints. I can't remember a day, apart from the Bowman sprint finish, where you will forgive them. It was up a 6% climb, that corner. I accept that, but uh, it's not like it was a sprint finish. I think it was pretty safe. We didn't have the helicopter blowing barriers over Vakerman, or we didn't have rider protests this year. We also had all the mountain stages done. Now, that might have just been a consequence of good weather, but... Safety seemed pretty good, and we didn't lose a GC contender to, unless you count Yates's knee, uh, um, to uh, crash. Or maybe a motorbike did ride into the peloton when Yates hit his knee. Roger Kluger, I think, yeah, he got hit yeah. by a motorbike at some point, or Zelik, I don't know. But I also want to ask, like the public, uh, people that are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, so you're rating at us on Twitter, hashtag LRCP, or just add our uh, username Lantern Rouge CP. Or just throw it in the YouTube comments. I'm curious what you guys think as well. Yeah, I think uh, bring back some TTKs. It, you cannot tell me this not... Say Amanda doesn't get COVID, Benji, and there's 55, 60Ks of TT, that makes this a better race because there's no way Almeida could have won this. Like, he, he would have got dropped on for Dyer, but with a TT... That would have made it more interesting, I think. So I think Vinny needs to rethink that, in my view. Uh, but yeah, last thoughts. Yeah, I, I also agree with that. Because like I never understood the sense of having a final time trial, but it shouldn't influence the the GC anymore, is what he said, Vinny. Like, then you're basically making a, a time trial version of a Champs-Élysées stage, just to see the riders come just in one by one. Yeah, like I don't <laughs> care about seeing riders come in one by one. Just like that, I want some tension when it comes to GC on the final stage. And 
the time trial, like my interest died by 95% at the start of the time trial because the stage win was the only thing up for grabs left. Does that make sense? Yeah, because, you know, Sobrero, good time and it was really whether Henley crashed or not. And even if he did, he probably would have been fine. So, yeah, I think uh, TT in the middle instead of one of those MISC stages with 25, 30Ks would have lifted this race a little bit for me personally to offer that Almeida type something. Uh, but anyway, that's our Giro recap. Taking a little bit of a break this week. We'll be back with the Dauphiné next this Sunday, actually. Thanks as always for your support. If you give us a rating or a review on podcast players, it's a big help if you've enjoyed our Giro coverage and we'll see you then. Ciao. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.